0: Well, 180, I'm really excited to be here with you uh, tonight and get to look uh, at the scriptures as we continue our sent series. Uh, and it's been the last couple of weeks that Jake and Carly have pointed us to the scriptures to see God's call to us. Uh, Abraham was called to go uh, to uh, a land that God would show him, that the nations might be blessed through him. Uh, Jesus, we're lucky that the scriptures do not end with Jesus' ascension into heaven and his great commission. Because then we'd kind of be like, okay, now what? But thankfully, uh, they don't leave us hanging that way um, without showing us what it looks like uh, to be sent ones. And so we're going to specifically focus tonight on a couple of people in the early church who were sent ones. They uh, said yes to the great commission, uh, and they lived it throughout their entire lives. So, if you have a Bible with you, you're welcome to open it to Acts chapter 4. For those of you who may be less familiar, Acts is right after John, toward the back of your Bible in the New Testament. And we'll also have the verses on the screen for you. But, the author Luke writes this book, he writes this letter, to an unknown man named Theophilus. We don't know quite who he is, we have ideas, but we don't know. But Luke is essentially documenting the history of, of the early church, of the rise of the Christian faith. And we actually, in chapter 4, we're picking up right in the middle of a story within a story. So I'm going to summarize chapter 3 just really briefly, just to give us an idea of where we are. So shortly after the apostles had begun preaching Jesus' death and resurrection, uh, Peter and John are walking to the temple, and they come across a man who had been lame. It's described his entire life which is over 40 years. Every single day, this man is brought before uh, the temple gates so that people, he could beg and people could be generous and give him money. Now, he was well known in the community, this guy was, because he's literally there every day. Everybody sees him. And Peter says to him, well, we don't have any money to give you, but in the name of Jesus, get up and walk. And he does. And so, I mean, that's pretty crazy if you ask me, but uh, the man then walks into the temple and all these people who know who he is, they're kind of, what the heck's going on here? And so Peter and John, they begin to tell the the crowds, they begin to preach about Jesus. It's through Jesus' power, Jesus' authority that this man's healed. And so they begin to tell about Jesus, the eternal life that comes from him uh, and the people's need to repent of their sin and turn to him. So that's where we pick up as we start Acts chapter 4. So uh, you want to follow along with me here. And as they were speaking to the people, the priests and the captain of the temple and the Sadducees came upon them, greatly annoyed because they were teaching the people and proclaiming in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. And they arrested them and put them in custody until the next day, for it was already evening. But many of those who had heard the word believed, And the number of men came to about 5,000. So I'm going to stop there for a minute. Interestingly, it seems that they're not really focused on the miracle, uh, the priests and the Sadducees and other religious leaders. They're they're not really focused on that. They're not disputing the miracle. But they're mad about these commoners who walk into the temple. uh, They have no qualified formal religious training. And yet they are teaching. And also, people are listening. So they're greatly annoyed by that. And then they are mad that they are preaching in Jesus the resurrection from the dead. The reason why being the Sadducees, uh, one of the groups mentioned here, they don't believe in a resurrection from the dead at all. So they have Peter and John dragged away. And yet, nevertheless, the people who they were preaching to hear their words, they've seen the actions, they see the healed man, and they believe, they place their faith in Jesus because of what they've seen and what they've heard. So quite frankly, God is at work. God is always at work. Even in the midst of the guys they should have been listening to, having Peter and John arrested, they still place their faith in Jesus. And now just as then, there are people... Literally everywhere that you go, that upon hearing their need for someone to rescue them, for someone to remove the shame of sin, for someone to pay the penalty of sin, they're willing to place their faith in Jesus. The audience here in the passage, they accept the apostles' teaching readily because they see this and they see their need for God's kindness and his mercy. And so when we get to verse 7, it's where it gets a little interesting, because it's in verse 7 that Peter and John are brought before the high priestly family and a few other religious leaders, elders, lawyers. And then they ask them there, by what power or by what name did you do this? And so just contextually, let's put ourselves in Peter and John's shoes for a moment. They've been dragged away from the temple the day before. This is a place they've been allowed to worship their entire lives. They're arrested. They've been brought before the high priest and his family and other religious leaders. And just maybe two or three months before, these are the men who handed Jesus over to the Romans to be crucified. And they're preaching the same gospel that Jesus himself preached. So it's not looking good right now. Also, this is the same Peter and John who, when Jesus was arrested just a couple months before, ran away. And this is the same Peter knowing him at all. Peter, that very night, denies Jesus three times. He denies knowing him at all. And so we got to think, it's not looking good here. How are they going to respond? It's, things don't look great. But in verse 8, we see a shift. And it's that Peter is filled with the Holy Spirit. And I want to spend some time there for just a minute and unpack that. The author Luke, he's making a reference to the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. Fully God, along with God the Father and God the Son, Jesus. Distinct, different persons, but yet one in will and essence. In fact, the Holy Spirit is mentioned 56 times throughout the book of Acts. It's frequently, he is frequently mentioned before miracles are performed or before the gospel is preached. And Luke often notes that the person involved is filled with the Holy Spirit. And so it's also important to mention what does that mean? What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? So if you're in this room and you've placed your faith in Jesus, you have said, Jesus, I need you, I trust you as my Lord and my Savior and my God. You are what we would call indwelt with the Holy Spirit. What that means is that God is with you. God the Holy Spirit lives with you. And so the difference there is that the Spirit is marking you for eternal life. We have assurance of our eternal life because of the Holy Spirit. But being filled with the Spirit is a little more of a moment-by-moment occurrence. We hope it's more moments filled than not filled. But this is where we essentially, essentially the Spirit enables us enables a person to do what they otherwise could not do without him. We posture ourselves in such a way where we say, God, work through me, use me, do what you will with me. And then the Holy Spirit fills us and enables us to do what we could not do ourselves. And it's the power of the Spirit that leads to what Peter says next here. He says, Rulers and people of the people and elders... If we're being examined today concerning a good deed done to a crippled man, by what means this man has been healed, let it be known to you and all of the people of Israel that it's by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, whom God raised from the dead, by him this man stands before you healed. This Jesus is the stone that you rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So let's just kind of take a look at this for a moment. Because again, two or three months before, Peter and John are running away. Peter is denying Jesus at all. What's the problem? Uh, We shouldn't be here. But then he accuses the chief priests of essentially murdering Jesus, uh, he says that God raised Jesus from the dead, that this lame man was healed in Jesus' name under his power, his authority, and that there is salvation in no one else. So, especially the last two points, that this man is healed by Jesus' power and authority, that would have been blasphemy. But Jesus is the one who has authority, and then there's salvation in no one else. Uh, You, this council, you have no authority over us. Quite frankly, they've never been able to do this before. It's the Holy Spirit who empowers them to do this. It is the Holy Spirit who empowers us to live as sent ones. And he empowered Peter and John in two specific ways here. He gave them the boldness to preach in the first place something they would have never done before, and he gives them the words to say. And the reason why we know this is because of verse 13 and 14, where the leaders, now that they'd seen the boldness of Peter and John and perceived they were uneducated common men, they were astonished. They didn't know what to say. And they recognized that they'd been with Jesus. But seeing the man who was healed standing beside them, they had nothing to say in opposition nothing. They could not refute what was said, and they could not refute the miracle that had occurred. And this is not a one-off event either. Even at the very end of the chapter in verse 31, the believers are praying, and they're again described as filled with the Holy Spirit, and that they continued to speak the Word of God with boldness. They speak convincingly, even though they're just working-class men with no formal training, no formal speaking ability. They speak convincingly because they've been empowered by God the Holy Spirit, they've been filled with the Spirit. Guys, we have access to that same Holy Spirit now, as they did 2,000 years ago. I think it's sad to say though that in much of Western Christian practice, at least in my experience, the Holy Spirit seems to be incredibly neglected. Francis Chan, uh, he puts it like this in his book, "Forgotten God." He says, "Churchgoers all across the nation say the Holy Spirit has entered them. They claim that God has given them a supernatural ability to follow Christ, to put their sin to death, and serve the church." I'm gonna skip down just a little bit, but yet yeah, when those outside the church see no difference in our lives, they begin to question our integrity, our sanity are even worse our God. And can you blame them? Guys, too many people, myself included, we try to live our lives as followers of Jesus without the Spirit's power. Or many times we resist where we feel like the Spirit of God is saying to us or where he's leading us. I I don't know how many of you know that we have a partnership uh, in South Asia that we call Gateway in a city of over 20, what, 25 million people, uh, where there's incredible uh, class division and incredible amounts of poverty. Uh, it's one of the biggest areas of sex trafficking in the world. We started that partnership over a decade ago. And I remember as a student, I was a junior in college, so this is like a long time ago, because I'm old. Uh, I decided I had felt the spirit of God leading me to fill out a summer mission application to go. And that was because I had been convicted by the fact that most everyone there does not know somebody who knows Jesus. So, I filled out that application and I was getting ready to click submit, send it off. I toiled over it and just let it sit. And eventually, I just, I couldn't do it. I switched my application to a stateside summer mission in Virginia Beach, Virginia. That was where I spent my summer. And I'm not dissing stateside summer missions, for those of you thinking about Ocean City. They're really awesome. My point is, though, for me, that I let too many things get in the way. of I let my comfort get in the way. I was, I was totally afraid of the unknown. I don't like ambiguity as a person. So, I mean, a lot of us don't, but... Uh, It was just really intimidating for me, and I backed out, and I still have not been, and I've wanted, legitimately, like, wanted to go now for years, through whatever various reasons I've not been able to go, and a little more each year, I lament and wonder, God, what did you want to do in my life? What What did you want me to see? I have no idea to this day what it is. And so it may not be something that big for you, but we all have things, where areas where we resist where the Holy Spirit's leading us, right? Uh, whether it's maybe it's some sort of sin that we've held on to uh, that we're not ready to let go of. Maybe we felt the conviction from the Holy Spirit to let go of it. We've not been able to do it. It could quite frankly be that we feel convicted, like we need to share or talk about Jesus with someone or we need to find out how they feel Uh, about Jesus and we've resisted the Spirit's leading in that. We've all done these kinds of things. But if you're a follower of Jesus, again, we forget this all the time. I forget this all the time. You have the Spirit of God himself living within you. He is indwelling you now. He wants to actively fill fill you, work with you, work in you and through you now. Now. He wants to do this to make you more like Christ, to give you the words to say, to share the gospel, or to care for someone um, who's not ready to hear the gospel but needs to see your love. And he empowers us to do other great things in Jesus' name by his power and authority. Peter and John, they've embraced this. They've embraced the Holy Spirit and his power and the work that he has intended them for. And we see as we get, I'm going to skip down to verse 18 here. The leaders, they think to themselves, well, we can't refute any of what's happening. But maybe we can keep them from doing it. Maybe we can threaten them. So they charge them not to speak or teach at all in the name of Jesus. But Peter and John answer, well, whether it's right in the sight of God to listen to you rather than God, you must judge. For we cannot but speak of what we have seen and what we have heard. And they're doing this, they know the cost. They've counted the cost of following Jesus. But the Holy Spirit is going to, throughout the rest of Acts, empower the apostles to continue the ministry, to continue reaching people, continue sharing the gospel resist at great cost to themselves. Some of it's physical hardships, some of it's they run into spiritual resistance, and almost all of them and uh, their life executed or murdered. We don't face that same kind of persecution here, but we do have to persevere. Paul writes to Timothy, he says, for God gave us a spirit not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. Guys, it's the Holy Spirit who's going to give us the power to persevere. God doesn't just say go. Jesus doesn't just say go and give us no tools with which to go. He's given us himself. He has given us His Holy Spirit, to empower us to act and to give us the ability to continue when things are hard so that at the end of our lives, we can say, I have fought the good fight, I've finished the race, I've kept the faith. The Holy Spirit is the one who gives us the ability to persevere through hardship, through resistance. And let me tell you, if they did not persevere then, we would not be here today. So I just want to think about a couple things here as we wrap up. First, how have you resisted the Holy Spirit? What areas of your life do you feel convicted of or do you feel like, I need to listen to the Lord here? But you've not been able to surrender to him yet or maybe in some cases you've refused to do so. Secondly, what is it about Jesus that you have experienced, seen, and heard that motivates you to speak to others about him? And if you're in this room and you, don't, you wouldn't say you uh, follow Jesus, you wouldn't say that uh, you've trusted Jesus as God, Lord, and Savior, who can you talk to about why this matters to them, why this is important? Guys, the Spirit of God, the Spirit of God, if you trusted Jesus, lives within you. And He wants to empower you and use you. What's keeping you from being used by God to live their life as a sent one. Let me pray. God, I thank you so much for all of us here in this room tonight that uh, we can be here, that we can hear from your word. Lord, I just ask and pray for me as much as for my friends here that we would seek to be filled with your Holy Spirit, that we would seek to be empowered, to be able to have the words to say, to be able to speak boldly about who Jesus is, to be able to love one another well, and do all these things in Jesus' power and authority, and to do them for the entirety of our lives. I ask and pray for, the, for that for each and every one of us here tonight. Amen. Thanks to our listeners for tuning in to this episode of the 180 Podcast, a production of Crew in Southeast Ohio. If you enjoyed this episode, please give it a like, a share, or leave an encouraging comment, and that will go a long way toward helping others hear about the podcast. The podcast isn't the only thing that we do. Whether you're a student living on campus or if you're still at home studying virtually, we'd encourage you to check us out on social media to hear more about what's going on. You can follow us on Instagram at crew at ou. Or to learn more about who we are and what we do, head over to our website, crewatou.org. We'd encourage you if you visit the site to complete our involvement form to get more connected to all the things that are happening. Thanks for joining us. We look forward to seeing you next Thursday for another episode of the 180 Podcast.